Oh, wait, hold on one more time. All of God's people said? That's what I'm talking about. Have a seat. Man, my girls are all about the volume of people. You know, my little girl Casey leads worship back in the kids' area every now and then. And, and I just asked Casey. She ran in. You might have seen her race in during the last song. And I said, how was kids' worship today? And she looked up at me and said, not much enthusiasm. Um, and then my wife won't leave the stage till everyone says amen. So... My girls want you to be engaged and involved in what is going on here today. I want you to take your pen and I want you to write the number 57 down at the top of your sermon notes. And if you're brand new, you can find those on the back of your bulletin where you a place to take notes. Uh, but I want you to write the name 57 because that is the story of our church this year. Uh, if you were there Sunday night and, and some of you were, some of you were not, we talked about, we, we went kind of through our mid-year report and the great things that God was doing but we try, we try to stay centered at our church on what God is doing in the lives of people. Not how many people are coming, not how much the offering is, not the new things we have planned or the old things we've had done, but lives that God is transforming. Uh, and last week we said January through May we'd had 54 people make a decision for Jesus at our church, whether a very first-time decision or a recommitment after coming away. And we actually had three last Sunday. So we have 57 people at our church since January 1 who have, who have taken a big step towards Jesus. And I hope we have more today. There may be someone here today who maybe you've been running for God, from God for a little while or God's been speaking to your heart that you need to get reengaged and maybe today's going to be your step of recommitment or maybe today will be the first time you connect to God in a meaningful way. I hope that's the case. But one of the coolest things about our church is sitting down and hearing the story of these 57 people up to this point now since our church has started. I think maybe more than 200 now who have made decisions because we truly as a church um, are, are reaching people and connecting people who have never been to church. Uh, or they've been loosely affiliated with church. Maybe they went to some kind of parochial school growing up. Or they've been in and out of church but never really committed spiritually. Um, and we get people who come to our church and who connect to Jesus in a powerful way. And they actually begin to take, te- take steps forward spiritually. And as I meet with them, you hear about people who not only came and said a prayer... But they come and now they're serving a little bit and they've started going to a small group and maybe they've started reading the Bible. And and you just hear people whose hearts and minds are really beginning to open spiritually. And it's really, really cool. And the things they say often really capture the attention of someone like me who grew up in church and who's been in church my entire life. And I was eating with a friend the other day who's made some really cool spiritual decisions at our church. And he's begun to get into his Bible, and he was asking me questions about the Old Testament, and he was asking me questions about the New Testament. And he made this comment flippantly. It was, it was not a question, it was a comment, but he said, man, now that I, have, now that I read the Bible, um, he said, I've decided I like the Jesus in the Bible a whole lot more than, I've, than, than the one I've heard about my entire life growing up. I decided I like the Jesus in the Bible a whole lot more than the one I've heard about my entire life growing up. And I, and I heard that, and I thought, that's so cool, but, but, I, but I, I thought about that statement, and I thought, you know, that's kind of an accusation against the church, about a group of people who maybe talk a whole lot about Jesus, but maybe don't know Jesus real clearly. And I thought about the generation of church that I have grown up in, and I thought about phrases and terms that we even use. We talk about when people accept Christ. We talk about saying a prayer of salvation. And, and we have a church culture that the last 25 to 50 years talks a whole lot more about accepting Jesus than following Jesus. 
We have a world that talks about a whole lot more spiritual world about what Jesus will do for them in eternity, but not a whole lot about what Jesus is doing for them now. And as a matter of fact, maybe you have prayed a prayer or heard an invitation given um, that that goes something like this. You know, if you want to go to heaven, say this prayer. Well, who do you know that doesn't want to go to heaven? That's a that's a pretty broad statement and not very seldom do you hear. Okay, let's not even think about heaven. But if tomorrow and next week and next month, and this year you want to follow Jesus and his plan for your life, then make this commitment. We, even our terminology is off a little bit, but I wonder how many people um, maybe are talking about a Jesus that they don't know very well. I had an interesting thing happen to me uh, about two weeks ago, right before Memorial Day weekend. We had a guy in our neighborhood that was going door-to-door selling pest control. Do any of you have that guy or that company who goes around and sells stuff door-to-door at your neighborhood. Well, I work from home. Really, right now, we kind of run the church out of my home. So this became a great annoyance for me as he continued to stop by the house while I was there, while I was working. Uh, We were actually having our our lead staff meeting one day. We had 10 people gathered around uh, because all our interns were there, my dining room table. And, I mean, we were deep in discussions about our church. Um, And here comes this guy, ding-dong, ding-dong. And he's like, he can see us all at the table uh, and my wife gets up and answers the door, and he's like, hi, I'd like, you know, like we're not even there. Hi, I'd like to tell you about this product. And he's like, we're in the middle of a meeting. And he said, well, it will only take five minutes. And we said, we're, in, like, we work here. This is, I don't know if you're stopping by offices today, but this is our work, so we can't, we can't do this. Said, okay, I'll come back tomorrow. So the next day, we had a long-term planning meeting with four of our team at my house. So we're at the same place, sitting around the dining room table. Same guy shows up, ding-dong, he answers the door. I mean, we've got the whiteboards out, the flip charts. We've got table littered with papers. Um, and there he is again with his little sheet. And Daniel answers the door. He says, hi, I'd like to tell you about it. And it's like, dude, you were here. We were like, does this not look like the same thing? And she's like, you know, we work here. This isn't a good time. Um, maybe you should come back. And he's like, okay. So the next day, we're not working, but we're preparing to go out of town. We went and visited a church in Arkansas that kind of mentors us and helps us learn how to do church. Um, And we're packing the car, and my son comes in and says, Dad, there's a man in the garage that wants to talk to you. Now, normally a man in my garage who wasn't invited into my garage, I mean, that's not a good thing, especially with my kids, right? So I'm irritated before I go out there, and my, my kids are already, they're like in the car because when we take a trip, I tell my kids, just go to the car and wait. So they'll go to the car and just, like, play their games for the 30 to 45 minutes to an hour. We're all waiting on Danielle because we're all ready. We're there. And it's just like, we're just, Dan- and I've just, I've told Danielle, I'm not going to pester you anymore. I'm not going to yell. We're just all going to go sit in the car. So sometimes we'll sit there for a long time. So they're sitting in the car and they're playing their stuff. And, da- you know, dad comes in. I guess this guy knocked on the car and said, dad, there's a guy in the garage. So I go out in the garage. Um. And I've literally got, I've got a bag in my hand, like my backpack to put in the car. And the back of the car is open and the luggage is there. The kids are there and all their blankets and pillows because we're getting ready to take a four-hour road trip down to Arkansas. And um, he says, hi, I'd like, you know, I'd like to tell you about this product. And I said, listen, I'm getting ready to leave. He says, it'll only take five minutes. Just let me do this. And I thought, all right. So I, in my garage. So I'm in my garage. Kids in the car. I said, all right. So he starts pitching his product. Uh, we sell this, and you've got bugs, and you've got spiders, and I can see a spider web in your corner. You know, he's going on and on and on. And here's what we do in the neighborhood. And he said, here's the three packages we offer. And he gets to the end of his spill, and he said, you know, package number one, personally, package number one is, I mean, that's, that's the one that, um, you know, I've really used. It's the best for me. And I stopped, and I said, so you use that one on your house. And I shouldn't have messed with the kid, but I was annoyed with him at this point. <laughs> said, so, that, you know, personally, this, I said, so that's the one you use on your house? Well, you know, um, <laughs> I don't really have a house. Um, where do you live? Well, I go to college, and here's where I go to college. 
So which of these do you use? Well, you know, we, I, I, don't, I don't really use any of them. So I said, well, how do you personally know that's the best one? And he kind of hem-hauled and he said, well, that's the one they've told me is the best. And it's funny as we're having this conversation with this kid that, you know, I shouldn't be messing with, but I'm irritated with. I thought, I wonder how many people in the church are telling someone about a Jesus they've been told about, but they don't really know. And we're talking to the world about Jesus and Jesus. And if the world stops and says, well, wait a minute, tell me about your experience with Jesus. We'd have to say, well, uh, um, well, that's what my pastor said. I don't really use this stuff myself. Um, And I can't really tell you what the Bible says, but this is what I've heard about Jesus. And I, I guess you should use this, too. And I thought, Lord, tell me we're not a bunch of traveling salesmen talking about a Jesus that we've never experienced that we don't pursue, that we don't know. And as this thought has been weighing on my heart for almost a year, and as we approach the summer of 2013, I told Danielle, I feel like that we should spend all summer just talking about Jesus. Because we tell people to follow Jesus, and we tell people to pray about Jesus, and we tell people how great Jesus is, but most people, even those like me who have maybe grown up in church all their life, they don't, they don't really know who Jesus is. And many of us don't know where Jesus is going. If, if I said, um, hey, by accepting Jesus, you can go to heaven, most of us would say, I'm, I'm cool with that. Uh, but if I said, by following Jesus, man, I, I can't really tell you what your life will look like, but I'll just tell you it would be worth it. Many of us would say, well, you know, I, I don't want to know. You know, it's interesting. The words that Jesus said to his disciples were not accept me, but follow me. And in John chapter 1, verses 38 and 39, you don't, you don't have to open this up, but I, I see the only conversation that happened with a disciple like me in the Bible. Because Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two guys who are fishing, and he says to them, follow me. And one of them says, where are you going? And I thought, that's a great question. Like, the, if Jesus came up to me today and said, follow me, I would say, where? Like, you know, I don't know that I'm an all-in, first-time, right-now kind of guy. Like, follow me. Where? How long? When will we come back? Will we eat between here and there? Um, or, you know, what, like, is a place we're staying, is it going to have air conditioning? He's like, you know, Jesus said, follow me. And the guy's like, where? And he said, just come and see. Now, like, man, that's a, that's a scary call, right? But that's the call to be a Christian. Commit your life to Jesus. And, man, it, that's why we call our church. It, it's a journey. And we kind of figure it out as we go. But it's my goal this week, this, this summer, beginning today, to talk to you about Jesus all day long and to maybe look past the Christmas story, maybe look past the Easter story that we've read and dig deeply into some of the things we read about Jesus that can have radical impact on our life. Now, if you have your Bibles today, we're going to start in Luke chapter 2. And our ushers are going to come down the aisle. If you don't have a Bible, we've got one that we want to give you today. If you forgot yours, you can just use this today and give it back. If you don't have a Bible, we've given away more than 400 since our church has started like this. Raise your hands or usher will give you one. Write your name in this one. It's yours. It's our gift to you. Go home and read it. Um, start in the book of Luke where we're going to be. It will change your life. But in Luke chapter 2, um, we find an interesting text. And I, I want to give you some quick facts about the life of Jesus as you're turning to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 41 through 52, uh, and I left your kind of note sheet blank today because I'm going to give you more things than you can write down, and kind of based on how your mind works, how your heart works, what you like to learn, you're probably going to want to write down some different things. But let me give you some quick facts about Jesus before we jump into today's Bible text because it's a very unique Bible text. There are four books uh, that we call biographies, four biographical books written about Jesus in the New Testament. We call them the Gospels. 
So if you hear someone say, well, have you read the Gospels? The word gospel means good news. Those are four books written about Jesus by his friends, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, And they're just written to tell us who Jesus was. They're biographies. Uh, In these four books, there are 89 chapters. So we would say that this Bible has 89 chapters specifically written about Jesus and the biographical data about him in the New Testament. So these four books hold 89 chapters that are all about Jesus. In these 89 chapters, there are 3,779 verses written about Jesus. So we have in our Bible, this big Bible, 66 books big, we have four specific books written to tell us who Jesus is. In those books, we have 89 chapters. In those books, we have 3776 verses to tell us about who Jesus is. And here's, here's what's interesting about these. Only 12 of these 3779 verses, only 12, tell us anything about Jesus between his birth narrative and his baptism. So really, the first 30 years of Jesus' life, there are only 12 years written about the first 30 years of his life. Now, most of us would hear that, and if we were an outsider, we would say, like, those are probably some pretty important verses. And the sad thing is most of us think, oh, that they're not even important. We have a little glimpse, 12 verses that I say, we're going to study today 12 verses about a 12-year-old. In a a Bible study that I've titled Jesus the Kid, kind of like Billy the Kid, this is the only picture we see of Jesus as a kid. He's 12 years old. We know that everything written in Scripture is written to teach us and train us. So this is not a commercial for what's coming next, but only 12 verses written about a 30-year span. And here's what we find out, and here's what we are supposed to learn from. And here's what Luke says to us. 12 verses about a 12-year-old. Luke chapter 2, we start in verse 41. It says, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So he went down to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and in favor with men. Now, 12 verses given to us about a 30-year span. And they're here to teach us something. They're here to show us something. They're here to show us something not just for our 12-year-olds, but for us. And, man, if we were to really break down this text, I mean, there's so much in this text about parenting. There's so much in this text about leading your children. There's so much in this text about how children learn and understand spiritually. There's a lot of study in here about Passover. Some of our small groups They go through my sermon, and I sent out this week some people to some of our small group uh, members with some some deeper study of Luke chapter 2. But I want to hit on three areas today, because I want you to see what I believe God's trying to tell us through Luke chapter 2 that applies specifically to our Christianity. Because we see Jesus, the only time we see spiritual growth in Jesus, because the next time we see him, he's 30, 
Now, why was Jesus baptized at 30? If you, re, if you have read the Old Testament and you understand the Old Testament, you were not allowed to start serving in ministry if you were a Levite or priest till you were 30. So Jesus was baptized at 30 because this was the age that men could officially begin to lead in ministry. He was baptized at 30, and at 30, boy, ministry takes off. So the only thing we read about how he got to 30 was this. And we read about three areas that he was continually growing in that you and I, in my opinion, need to focus on and work on growing in as well. And those three areas of growth are this. Their wisdom, their stature, and their favor. Jesus grew in wisdom. We're told in Luke chapter 2, 52, he grew in stature and he grew in favor. Now, this word stature is, is a weird word. It, 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 uh, if you just look at it on face level, it looks like that Luke is saying, um, you know, like we would say when we see relatives we haven't seen anyone. Boy, boy, Jesus is getting big. But that's not what he's saying. You, you know, it's like, why would the Holy Spirit tell us, you know, boy, Jesus got tall. Um, you know, I, I don't know how that helps me spiritually. But when you look at this word stature, in the English, stature is defined this way. Um, it can be a person's height or it can be a person's importance or reputation any outward growth that can be seen or evaluated. The Greek word that we have here, and remember the Bible is written in Greek, not English, so, so we can learn more about what we don't understand by, by switching languages a little bit. The word is helikios. It's like, kind of like helium, H-E-L-I-K-I-O-S, uh, is a word that means age and greatness. So Luke is telling us that Jesus grew in, in, in three ways. He grew in wisdom. He learned and learned and learned and learned and learned. Um, and then he grew in reputation. He grew in importance. He grew in, in greatness. The outward things about his life, you were able to see those as he grew. And as those two things grew, he grew in favor. Now, let me show you how these three work together. I'm just going to give you like some rapid fire examples. I doubt you'll be able to write all these down, but I want your mind to understand the thought of how these three worked in unison in Jesus' life and how they work in unison um, in ours. When we look at these words, wisdom, stature, and favor, they, they are kind of simultaneous things. Wisdom could be described as the input of knowledge. So wisdom is what's going in. Stature or reputation or greatness or what can be seen could be referred to as the outflow of knowledge. So wisdom is in, stature is out. Um, and favor is the impact of that knowledge. This is, this is the key to what we're going to learn in today's message. What goes in hopefully will come out, but it will come out in a way that impacts others. Or we could look at it this way. Wisdom could be defined as what you're learning. Stature as what you're becoming. So what I'm, what I'm learning is actually making me something in favor is how who you are becoming impacts other people. So I need you to see the threefold, the, kind of the, 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 the little equation that we're dealing with here. What comes in hopefully comes out, but it doesn't just come out like we're not able to just answer questions on the test. But what we become is actually impacting others. Or, or you could look at it this way if you want to see it more established. Wisdom is what you know. Stature is what people see, and favor is how they benefit from who you are. So we, I mean, we could spend the whole message just talking about how those things intertwine, right? Hopefully today all of us are growing 
in wisdom. Hopefully today something's going in. Hopefully today we're becoming learners. Hopefully today we're going to know something. Hopefully, if nothing else, today you learn one thing. Maybe today you'll go and say, I did not realize Jesus was baptized at 30 for that reason until today. Um, you know, and you'll be like the guy on the AT&T commercial. That's amazing. And someone will tell you something. Just, just wait a minute. I'm watching this. Um, it's like, you know, I learned something today. Maybe you didn't know the Bible said anything about Jesus as a 12-year-old. And you're like, that's cool. I, I learned something. So part of, part of church is learning what's going in. But part of it is becoming. How is what I'm learning shaping me? And then a third part is how is how I'm being shaped impacting others? See, we learn from this kid, right? And he's a kid. He's 12. Um, are there any 12-year-olds in the house today? Do we have anyone in here who's 12 years old? Raise your hand if you're 12 years old. So we don't have a 12-year-old. Do we have anyone 11 or 13? Are you 11? Andrew, stand up. Stand on and stand up. Come here. Come here. Come here. Um, here, come right up here. I'll help you up on the stage. When's your birthday? Um, March 23rd. So you, you're like 11 in a couple months then? All right. So I, I want you to see the Jesus that we're learning from, right? This isn't the one who was baptized. This isn't the one who did miracles. This isn't the one who, who hung on a cross. Here, let's go over here. The camera guys are going to kill me because I'm not in the light. Um, you know, this isn't the one that walked out of the grave. Like, he's just a kid, right? But this is the Jesus we're learning from today. Because Jesus' life was meant to teach us and be an example. There are no sound bites in Jesus' life. So today we learn wisdom and stature and favor from the life of a little kid. Give Andrew a hand. Good job, dude. Don't hurt yourself. Ah! Going down. So today we are learning, um, we're learning from a kid. And what are we going to learn from the kid? We're going to learn something about wisdom. We're going to learn something about stature. We're going to learn something about favor. But we're going to learn specifically how these things grow you into who you're supposed to become and grow you into um, what you're supposed to be and grow you into the impact that you're supposed to have. So how did Jesus grow spiritually? How did these three things work together in the life of Jesus to grow spiritually? And how did what Luke wrote through the power of the Holy Spirit, how was it, how was it written down for us to dig deeply into so that we could understand a little more about it? I just want to teach you three principles today. One about wisdom. One about stature, one about favor. And I, and I want to kind of dig into to some deeper parts of Scripture so that we can come up with some practical steps from Scripture for our life. Wisdom. Here's the first thing that we're going to learn from what Luke tells us about this kid, Jesus. We're going to learn this. What Jesus learned, here's the training example we're given, was determined by who Jesus hung around. We're going to be shown that as a 12-year-old, we're seeing a glimpse of Jesus and how he learned things. And we're going to learn that how Jesus learned was by hanging around people who could, who could teach him and who could help him. Um, and, and what's interesting is when we look at where he was, when we, look at, when we look at what he was doing, when we look at who he was with, we see that Jesus, even as a kid, understood that God had created him for something really unique here. And at age 12, it appears that he's beginning to grasp this when he tells his mom and dad, Did you, like, I've got to be about my father's business. We understand this. But he went to a place and he interacted with people in a setting that was going to help him understand more even about himself and about how to be a spiritual man and about how to be a spiritual leader. Here's what's really cool. This is not only how Jesus learned, but this is how Jesus taught. Like, think about this, right? Jesus was not a university professor. They would have had these in the day. 
We learn that the Apostle Paul learned from a university professor. His name was Gamaliel, and he, he lectured. He stood in a class. He probably wrote curriculum, and he taught people. Jesus was not a university professor. Jesus was not a school teacher. Jesus was not the pastor of a church. The church hadn't really been formed yet, but Jesus did not teach those ways. Jesus taught by getting around people and by having people kind of in group learning, living life and learning Together. So what Jesus learned was determined by who Jesus hung around. Look at 246 after three days. Now, for those of you who are really down on Mary and Joseph right now, let me just draw you a little picture of what Jerusalem would have looked like in those days. When we were in Jerusalem, our team, we got to witness and picture three different what looked like bar mitzvahs happen in 13 year old Jewish boys, their first trip. Um, into Jerusalem. Robbie, I'm sure you remember those parties as they traveled in. And some of them were hundreds of people. And they were dozens of kids. And we got to, I, I didn't bring video with me, but we got to video these kids outside the walls of Jerusalem as they literally partied their way all the way to the temple where we, they would go to the Wailing Wall for the first time and, and really become spiritually a man. So you're talking about a pack of friends and relatives that's massive, a pack of kids that's probably big. And when you hear three days, probably Jesus was not really lost for three days. So probably they went to the temple and, and then they traveled a day's journey. That would have been one day. The men would have traveled separately from the women. Say, why was that? Because women are never on time. And the men would have just said, let's go. And they would have left, right? I mean, I'm I'm sure that's not theological, that's practical, but I'm sure there's something in that. It's like, let's just go. You know, they're hanging out. Um, The women would have driven, would have walked apart from the kids. You say, why is it? Because kids are annoying. Um, And they would have said, are we there yet? And how long? And I have to use the bathroom. Again, not theological, but practical. Then the kids would have traveled in a pack. So Joseph wasn't with Mary, Mary wasn't with Joseph, and Jesus was probably with neither of them. So they get where they're going for the night, they, they camp out, day one got, has gone by, and they look around, and oh no, Jesus is missing. It couldn't travel at night, it wasn't safe. So the next day, they got up, it took a day to travel back. Um, and by the time they got back and went to bed, the third day they got up, who knows how long they found Jesus. But it, it was probably a day before they realized, oh no, he's not here, a day to get back, a day to find him. And they find him hanging out at church or the temple, listening and learning, according to Luke chapter 2. And in verse 46, here is how Jesus is growing in wisdom. It says, after three days they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Now what's so cool is, like I said, Jesus not only modeled this as a learner, but he modeled it as a teacher. But Scripture later warns against, and Pastor Ryan just a few weeks ago preached through Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and he told you spiritually the value of having people close to you who know Jesus, who love Jesus. He, he talked to you about how surrounding yourself with people who know Jesus will help you to know Jesus better. But Scripture oftentimes warned people about, listen, the wrong type of people can become very detrimental to you. And in Galatians chapter 5 verse 7, Paul had started a church in Galatia. It had started off so well. He left to start another one, and things kind of went downhill. And here's the report that got back to Paul. It got back to Paul that, listen, the people who were walking with Jesus, some people, some people kind of came into their mix and convinced him it wasn't necessary, and things kind of fell apart. And here's what, what Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. He said, you were running a good race. You were doing really good spiritually. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? It's like you were doing so good spiritually. Who, who messed you up? Who slowed you down? Who got in your way? 
I want to say this to you today. If, if you started skyrocketing spiritually at our church and you have slowed down, there's probably a who involved more than a what. Something has gotten in your way because the projection of spiritual growth is not supposed to be fast, slow, fast, slow. You're supposed to be slow and steady as you go. And some people are fast and steady their entire life. But the, the track of spiritual growth is not supposed to be up. And down. So Paul says, when, when things slow down spiritually, you have to ask yourself who? Who broke your heart that you've not been able to move on from? And you're not only distanced from them, but now you're distanced from family, and you're distanced from friends, and you're distanced from church, and guess what? You're distanced from God. Who fired you that you can't get over? Who left you? Who offended you? Or. Or, spiritually, who got in your head? You know, one of the things that we evaluate most closely at our church are the people who lead small groups because we know they can get in people's way spiritually. You know, if, 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 if I was giving today a message about reading your Bible, and I said, man, I, wanna, I want everyone in here to commit to try to read their Bible for 40 days, and you were sitting around small group tonight, and one of your prayer requests was, you know, I'm going to try to read my Bible every day for 40 days, and your small group leader said, you don't have to. Not every Christian does that. See, they would cut in on what Jesus is trying to do to your life. So we talk all the time, you know, about our small group leader. You know, what small group leader do we have when someone says, you know, I'm going to try to pray more? Says, that's not important. When someone says, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try to start tithing. They say, oh, you don't need to do that. See, we know that you can cut in on people spiritually and take their legs out from under them. So we're careful. And, and let me tell you why we're glad you're careful, because we monitor people working with our children the same way. Aren't you glad that there aren't people working with your kids today? Your kids say, you know, my mom and dad, are, you know, I got in trouble because I didn't make my bed. And they say, you don't need to make your bed, you know. Listen, one day you're not going to make your bed every day. See, we would undercut your leadership in their life if, if we did that. So Jesus models for us that you grow by getting around the right type of people. And then Paul warns us that you stop growing by getting around the wrong group of people. So one of the things we've got to learn from this little kid today is what type of people do we have in our life and how are they building us or kind of, or kind of undercutting us spiritually? Certainly good question, questions to ask. There's wisdom that comes from knowing who will help you draw closer to Jesus. There's wisdom from knowing who cuts in on your spiritual growth and how to remove that. There's wisdom in seeing maybe for the first time, wow, I'm really distanced from God and it goes back to this hurt, it goes back to this offense, and then learning how to walk past that. Because some of you, like if Paul were your pastor, he'd say, man, you were doing so good. Like, who ruined this for you? And usually it's a who, not a, not a what. Secondly, we learn that Jesus grew in stature. Um, stature, we, we would define by looking at the true Greek word of it. That, this was who Jesus was becoming. And what we learn from Jesus by those people around him is who Jesus was becoming would be shown by how Jesus lived. Now, let me give you a, um, another word for stature to just cement this in your head. Let me give you the word statue. Stature, statue. It's what people see. It's what people see when they look at you. It's what, people, it's what people can observe of your life. It's when people do a 360 of your life and they kind of check you from every angle. It's what people see spiritually. Now, here's what Luke chapter 2, verse 47 says about Jesus' stature, about his reputation, about his character, about his greatness as it was growing. It said, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and at his answers. 
So people looked at Jesus and they realized there was something special about him. They realized something, there was something different about him. In Luke chapter 3, verse 8, we, we read a verse on what people are supposed to see spiritually in us. This verse was actually given to us by Jesus' cousin. His name was what we refer to him as John the Baptist. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 8, in helping people understand what life would look like as Jesus came into their life, he told people, he said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. Now, I want to show you this is a very important verse. So I keep it on the screen for a minute, if you would. John said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, the word repentance, you should write this down. The word repentance means change. He said, you should have visible things in your life that have changed. And he said, don't be like, he was talking about Jewish people who said, hey, we have Abraham as our father. They're basically saying this, listen, our religious heritage is enough. You know, I go to church. I, you know, I'm related to Abraham. I've kind of got spiritual bloodlines. My life doesn't have to show any spiritual change in it. John said, that's not good enough anymore. That's not good enough for people who follow Jesus. You can't just say, when someone says, show me your Christianity, you can't just say, I go to church. You can't list religious things as attributes of what Jesus is doing in your life. You have to have real stuff. And he says, use the word fruit. Now, what is happening so often in church today is that we're trying to produce encyclopedias rather than fruit. Like we're just trying to fill people with knowledge, 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 instead of fruit. But let me ask you, um, have you ever met, and maybe you have if you've, grow, if you've grown up in the South, you see these along the roadside, but there are way more door-to-door encyclopedia salesmen than door-to-door fruit salesmen. Say, so why is that? Because no one wants an encyclopedia, and they're never going to go to the store and buy them for themselves. They have to be convinced that this, this is important for you. This information is important. But when we see fruit, it's interesting that this word fruit is used because we find fruit, even from the story of Adam and Eve, fruit is appealing to the eye, good and bad for it. It looks good. We find that fruit can be satisfying. We see that fruit can be nourishing. And John says your life needs to be like fruit. Jesus later said people will be able to to tell how well you're doing spiritually by your fruit, by the things that have changed in your life that are becoming appealing to people. Now, we see this from people who go on diets. People get motivated to go on diets by people who have lost weight because they see the fruit of that weight loss. They say, man, you look great. Wow. You know, I need to do better. Pastor Daniel, for those of you who were here last week and saw Pastor Daniel, he's lost 80 pounds in the last three years. And, I mean, he ch- just by showing up, he challenged me. I was like, man, like, you heard... You're like kicking tail. And I told Danielle, like, I've got to eat better because, I mean, he, just the fruit of his life was like, that's impressive. People should be seeing those spiritual traits in us. People should look at what has happened to us since we have become Christians or since we got more committed spiritually. And they ought to say, what's happening in your life is appealing to me. I see what's happening in your life is very satisfying to you. I see what's going on in your life is nourishment, spiritual nourishment to your family, to your kids, to your marriage, to the way you manage your finances, to how you're going on dates, to how you're going on vacations, to how you love your kids by the schedule change. Man, like, I want some of that for me. So John says, focus on fruit. And people looked at even a little kid Jesus, Jesus the kid. And they said, man, his life, like his life stands out and is different. And it's attractive. And when wisdom and stature come together, especially with focus, we find out it leads to favor. And, and what, is, what is favor? Favor would be best described in the life of Jesus this way. How Jesus lived 
It brought honor to God, and it brought respect from people. The way Jesus lived lived his life brought honor to who God was, and it brought respect from people, even people that didn't know him, even people maybe that might not have agreed with him. They, they looked at his life, and his life honored God, and it brought respect for people. Look at verses 51 and 52, if you still have your Bible on your lap. It says, Then he went down to Nazareth with his parents. He was obedient, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. He grew in favor with God, and he grew in favor with men. Now, this word favor would be a word that we would say like favorite. Like when people got around Jesus... God was their favorite. That's the thought here. When people got around Jesus, like, God was one of their favorite people. When people got around Jesus, Jesus was one of their favorite people. And as I was studying this this week, I had to ask this question. And listen to this question. And I want you to just evaluate whether or not this is a fair question. Why is it that so many Christians and so many churches have turned people off to God and have turned people away from being a Christian? Is that not a fair statement? I mean, I deal a lot with people who don't come to church, who don't like church. And usually the reason why is because they know a Christian who's their least favorite person in the world. Or they've seen a Christian depicted on TV or on talk radio. And that's their least favorite person in the world. And by default, if a Christian is like Jesus then Jesus becomes their least favorite person in the world. And if Jesus is a representative of God, then all of a sudden God becomes their least favorite person in the world. See, people looked at Jesus and they were drawn to God and they were really respectful of who he was. And yet somehow we have reversed that as a culture. I'm not talking about every church you've ever been to, every Christian you ever know, but I'm talking about as a culture. Just start asking people. And you'll see that a lot of people are turned off to God and off to Christianity by Christians. Tell us we're not living like this kid, Jesus, would live. You know, if, if that's true, and, and in my experience it is, then we have to stop and think about maybe what we're doing wrong, right? We have to stop and think about how we, how we can correct that. Here's what I find so interesting about Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to say something that's not true, but it is. I want you to hear that again. I'm going to say something that's not true, but it is. It's really interesting about Luke chapter 2, and it becomes a theme of Jesus' life. When we see Jesus in Luke chapter 2, he didn't have all the answers, and he didn't have the loudest voice. And here's what's the crazy thing. He did have all the answers, and he could have had the loudest voice. At 12, he could have sat in the temple. And if if you read it, it said he sat in the temple listening and asking questions. Jesus could have stood up at 12 and said, boys, let me tell you how it is. And bring me a dead person because I'm going to show you how it is. Um, and what else do you want? He could have, like, moved something down. I mean, he could have been, like, X-Manish, right? I mean, Jesus at 12 could have shown up and said, this, this is how it's going to be. So Jesus did always have the answers, but he chose not to always have the answers. Jesus did always have the biggest voice, but he chose not to have the biggest voice. And here's what happens. When we study the life of Jesus, we find often Jesus was soft. He was reserved. He was even noncommittal on some things that were just stupid debate because he cared more about people's hearts than about being the man all the time. 
In Matthew chapter 22, verse 15, we learn this about this running dialogue between Jesus and people. It said the Pharisees went out and they laid plans to trap Jesus in his word. They were always trying to get Jesus to say something that would distance people from Jesus and distance people from God. But Jesus cared more about people who were distant from him and distant from God than, than to just stir trouble all the time. In Luke 20, verses 1 through 8, I'll give you a specific example. It says, it says one day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him and they said, tell us by what authority you're doing these things. Who gave you this authority? There's the question. He said, I'll ask you a question. So instead of giving an answer, he gave a question. I'll ask you a question. Tell me. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves, and they said, if we say from heaven, then he'll ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people stone us because they're persuaded that John was a prophet. So they they answered, we don't know where it was from. Jesus said, neither then will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. He said, did Jesus not know the answer? Of course Jesus knew the answer. He didn't tell him he didn't know the answer. He just said... I'm not going to allow you to get me into some stupid debate that's going to get people off the mission that souls are either going to heaven or hell and we have to make a difference. That's what Jesus said. We find this often in John chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. They brought Jesus a woman who had been caught in adultery. And they laid him before, laid her before his feet. And, it, and they said, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. They asked him, the Bible says this, what do you say? He never answered the question. He said, was he dodging it? No. He was just making a greater impact by not having all the answers. Now, in true rabbinical learning, What's interesting, it said they were amazed at Jesus' answers. Jesus never gave answers. The smartest rabbis would prove themselves wise by never answering a question um, with an answer, thus answering the question. What do you mean by that? They would, ask, they would answer questions with questions, like, like Jesus was doing. He just gave us an example. Tell us, is your authority from God or is it from man? Jesus said, I could answer that question or I could really dig deeper. Well, what about John? So he, he answered a question with a question. Well, was John from God or from man? Now, see, if they said John was from God and John said Jesus is from God, they would have answered their own question. So Jesus proved his wisdom by allowing them to play out the situation. In John chapter 8, some theologians think that the people who brought Jesus, that Jesus started writing their name on the ground and all the sins that they had performed. And you can imagine, Jesus, the Bible says this. What do you say? Jesus, the Bible says this. Jesus, the Bible says this. You realize, oh, there's my name, Christian. And oh, look, ne- never mind, Jesus. That's cool. I'm good. Don't write that down and tell everyone I'm out of here, right? You see, when we meet Jesus in Luke chapter 2, verse 46, after three days they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening and asking questions. Man, we meet someone that we learned had a lot of humility. He had a lot of respect for people. He had a lot of awareness for things that could cause controversy and division, and he didn't dig into those all the time. He had a lot of perception about what people thought of him and how to gain favor with them so that he could have impact on them. And what's interesting is Jesus, we find out as we study his life, Jesus cared way more about making an impact than making a point. 
See, it was more important to Jesus to make an impact on someone than to make a point for someone. Because the truth is, making an impact was the point. Like, that's the whole reason that he came. He didn't come to translate Old Testament problems. He didn't come, according to his own words in Matthew 5, to rewrite the whole law. No, he came to make an impact on the lives and souls of men and women and teenagers and children. He came to make an impact. And I think somehow the church has gotten so busy and so loud trying to make points that we've lost the ability sometimes to make impacts. And it's interesting because in the last 25 years, it seems that the church and the many outlets of Christianity have more and more answers more and more official stances, more and more official positions, but less and less impact with people who are not Christians yet. And if you look at the life of Jesus, it appears like we're kind of headed in the wrong direction of what someone who was following Jesus, where, where they would be going. Because what we, what we learn from Jesus, and, and listen, who, who's going to change this cycle of we make all our points, but we make no impact? Who's going to change it if we don't? I think it's time that, that, that we do. Maybe it's time we start having less and less answers, but more and more of an impact with people who need Jesus more than they need to know. Now tell me exactly what you think about this. You see, the fact that we learn today from a kid is that true spiritual wisdom leads to a stature, a reputation of spiritual growth. True spiritual wisdom leads to people being able to see that you're changing, and hopefully that leads to having an impact on people through developing favor with God and men. Man, I hope that someone in here is someone's favorite person in the whole world, and because you're their favorite, your connection to God makes God one of their favorite people in the whole world, and they see what Jesus is doing in your life, and and I hope there's someone in here who people really like Jesus because they really like you, and they see what Jesus is doing in you. See, that's the way that you slowly begin to shape a community together. You say, how do we develop spiritual wisdom that leads to stature, that leads to growth? Well, we learned some simple things today. What Jesus learned was determined by who he hung around. What Jesus was becoming would be shown by how he lived his life. And he knew people were watching and he wanted his life to be appealing to them, satisfying to them, to provide nourishment to them spiritually. And the way he lived his life brought a lot of honor to God and it brought a lot of respect from people. Now, as a church, where do we go from here? Well, the church is only as strong as the people. So I'll ask you the question. As a person, where do you need to go from here? After reading this little soundbite that we usually skip, what do you, where, where do we need to go from here? Well, I, I look at next steps, and here's some next steps that I can think of for people. Clearly, all of us need to evaluate our relationships. Who do we have that's really breathing life into us spiritually? And who do we have that keeps cutting in? God speaks to our heart to do something, and they keep saying, oh, you don't have to do that. That's not important. You don't have to. Who, are, who are the people that are really breathing into us spiritually and the people that are taking the breath out of us spiritually? And we've got to learn, like Pastor Ryan talked about, we've got to learn to create social time for Christian fellowship because it's important. It's how Jesus modeled his growth and how he modeled his teaching. I look at another next steps, and I, I, I think clearly we, need, we all need to understand that our actions prove our beliefs. And by looking at our actions, we can prove what we really believe. Do you really trust God? Do you really love God? Are you really committed to God? Just go back and look at some of your actions, and you should be able to answer those questions. 
And then thirdly, as we look at the life of Jesus, even as a kid, I think all of us have to learn and desire to measure our words and measure our actions for humble impact. Hey, sometimes we can make a big loud point. That's cool. We can boycott Disney or the Boy Scouts or whatever latest thing the church is doing, and we can make a point, you know, and we can be on all the news outlets. Cool. Or maybe we can just humbly love people, talk to people, and engage in people's lives. Maybe it's sometimes it's more about making an impact than, than making a point. But you have to figure out where, where that is. I don't know of anyone in here who can go away and take three points of application from a message. You have to take one. But today you need to figure out that one in your life. What's that one in your life that you need to really identify and dwell on? And then just pour into it. Maybe, maybe like the 57 who have come before this Sunday, maybe the point for you is like you're here, God is here, and you need to connect. Maybe it's a reconnect. Maybe it's a first-time connect. But I can promise you this. God loves you. He knows your name. He sent this little boy who sat humbly and answered questions so he could develop favor and stature with people, only later to die on a cross so people would remember it and tell you that God loves you so much that his son gave his life for you. Maybe it's a reconnection. Maybe you've been running from church, running from Christians, running from pastors. Maybe someone cut you off at the knees and you need to realize to resolve that so that you can move forward. Or maybe it's one of these next steps. But today, I'm sure God has spoken to your heart about something as we pray now. I want you to focus on that thing. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And as we pray, Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name this morning. And we're grateful for Jesus. Not a Jesus that someone has told us about, but a Jesus that we're attempting to know, a Jesus that we're attempting to follow. And God, if we're going to begin with the life of Jesus, we should begin where the Bible begins, when he was a kid. That's not just a commercial to get us from point A to B. That's one of the points of his life to study and to learn. And God, as we study and learn it, we learn so much about who he was. And we learn how he grew spiritually. Because we're supposed to follow that example. Jesus said, follow me. His life was a model. His life was an example that we were supposed to follow. So God, as we look at how Jesus did it, Lord, maybe the light bulb has gone off. And we said, okay, I get it. What goes in is supposed to be developed inside and it's supposed to come out. But what comes out is actually supposed to have an impact on people, not just make a point to people. God, let us not be encyclopedias that walk around with all the answers. But let us be fruit that is desirable, that's appealing, that has deep spiritual satisfaction, great spiritual nourishment. And God, thank you from an example today, from a man who had every answer every time, who sometimes just refused to get in stupid arguments that would get away from the impact he was trying to make. And God, help us to be a church filled with people who live for impact. Who, when they get up, look in the spiritual mirror and say, Do I have any fruit in my life? Is anything happening spiritually to draw someone to Jesus through me? And God, may the people who are closest to us, may Jesus become one of their favorite people because the picture we show of him through our life. God, we can't do this without you. We can't do it without being surrounded by the right relationships and by learning how to get away from people who cut in on us. God, we can't do it without learning how to be humble, respectful, aware, 
without learning God how to uh, how to have true repentance and to show who we are and what we believe by who we are. And God, I just pray that you'll help us to be a church who draws people to you. Now with heads bowed and eyes still closed, I thank you, God, for the people you have drawn here today to connect with. For the first time, or for the first time in a long time, God, there are people here you want to reconnect with and connect with. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If God brought you here today to reach out his hand and say, hey, I'm still here and I love you. And maybe your desire today is to commit or recommit your life, but to say on this day, June 9th, 2013, not I want to accept Jesus into my heart so I can go to heaven, but I want to follow Jesus in this life because I want to learn who he is and I want to love him and I want to serve him and I want to become more like him. And I'm just going to ask you to say a prayer. I'll pray it for you in case you don't know maybe quite the right words to say. And in your heart, without even saying a word, just in the quietness of your soul, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer today. Dear God, if your heart today desires to connect or reconnect, pray this prayer. Dear God, today, June 9th, 2013, I want to commit to follow you for the rest of my life. I want to learn more about who you are. I want to learn more about how to become like you. And I want to live and walk closely with you so that I can grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor. I pray, God, that you will forgive me for the things I've done in my life that have offended you in your perfections and in your perfect standard for me. Forgive me for falling short. I'm not perfect and I can't be. But with your forgiveness, I can be clean and I can be changed and I can be made brand new. So today, God, make me brand new. I commit my life to follow you. And I thank you that going where you led one day will lead me to eternal life as well. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed, please nobody looking around out of the respect of those around you who are getting ready to just acknowledge the step they made today. If you just prayed that prayer in your heart, you really seriously meant it as much as you know how at this moment. On the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and leave it up for three seconds. That's it. I won't ask you to stand. I won't ask you to come forward. But I will ask you on the count of three to raise your hand and hold it up for three seconds just so that I can know what God is doing in the lives of our people. One, two, three. Just raise your hands right now all over the room. Yes, yes. Thank you. And God, I thank you for these who today have nailed down something with you. Be with them as they commit to follow you with their lives. Bless them. God, in Jesus' name, we pray these things. And everyone said together, amen. Hey, pull out your connection cards if you want.